Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10 as we continue in our series in Exodus entitled Free at Last. And I've subtitled this sermon, Death Threats. Death Threats. Listen to the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, the darkness to be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in the land and all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks. We worship you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for how you work by the power of your spirit through your word to do that work in our lives of transforming us, shaping us, molding us after your own image. And so I pray this morning that as all of us sit under the authority of your word, you would do that work in us and among us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, verse 28, Pharaoh reaches for the oldest and often most efficient tools in the toolbox of oppressive people and oppressive regimes. He tells Moses, get away from me, take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And this threat was, was not new in the history of the world, nor is it new in our day. When oppression has exhausted its policy efforts, when it has exhausted its ideological efforts, when it has exhausted its sociological efforts, when it has exhausted its theological efforts, it has but one place to turn, the threat of death to all those who oppose it. And Pharaoh had come close to making this threat during the previous plague when he told Moses, the Lord be with you if I let you and your little ones go. But now what was veiled is now stated explicitly, Moses, if I see you again, you are a dead man. And because this threat comes from Pharaoh, there, there is an added dimension to it that goes beyond just the personal. This isn't just two dudes who, who got entangled in a personal dispute with, with one of them flexing their muscle against the other in a threat of taking the other out. No, this is, this is the king 
of the most powerful nation in the world at the time, flexing not just his personal muscle, but the muscle of the state. Not just his personal muscle, but, 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 but the muscle, the muscle of the state with all its intended power, attendant power to carry through on the threat. This was a power that, that, that not only Moses understood in the moment, but it was a power that was understood by all of those who were under Pharaoh's command. It was a power felt collectively by, by all those mothers who in chapter 1 uh, heard of the decree that went out from the first pharaoh of the oppression to have all the male children of Israel killed. It, it was a power felt by, by all the fathers who had no control, not, not only over the safety of their own families, but no power over the safety of their own bodies. It was a power felt every day in the, in the increasingly difficult labor that the current Pharaoh imposed when, 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 when first confronted by God to let the people of Israel go. It was a labor meant to push the community to a, to a physical point in which they would give up hope for freedom. It was a power that, that despite all of the ruin brought upon Egypt by God's acts of judgment, continued to breathe out threats, not only of its power to control people's lives, but also of its power to destroy those lives if they refuse to submit to its power. No, brothers and sisters, this, is, uh, this, tool, this tool in the toolbox of the powerful is not new. Ask those being swallowed up in the war in Ukraine if it's new. Ask those being swallowed up in conflicts in parts of the continent of Africa if it is new. Ask those being swallowed up in parts of China if it's new. Ask the families of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Patrick Leoya if it is new. Sin, brothers and sisters, which is resident in the human heart, doesn't stay locked up in the human heart. It makes itself felt in our interpersonal interactions as well as our corporate interactions. It makes itself felt personally, and it makes itself felt systemically. Pharaoh's threat wasn't idle, and it was backed up not only by his personal animosity toward Moses, Aaron, and our God, whom they represented. It was backed up by the power and authority of the state that Pharaoh represented. And I say all of this not simply to show you the massive, the massive darkness of sin and death, the threats that sin holds out over us, you have only to look in your own heart or out at the world to recognize the massive implications of sin and its impact on the world. I tell you so that you might understand that God in His saving purposes has come actually to deliver all those who trust in Him from that darkness and from the threat of death that it holds out. God, in fact, was about to demonstrate he was about to demonstrate, even before the threat is made, that he had rendered it powerless. He was about to demonstrate that, that he had taken the sting out of that threat. If you want to understand why Moses did not cower at Pharaoh's threat, if, if you want to understand why, why he essentially gave Pharaoh an amen to the fact that he would never see him again, then know that it was because Moses knew that he and the people of Israel were no longer under the power of Pharaoh's kingdom. It's because Moses knew something that Paul would proclaim to all those who would put their faith in God's greater Moses Jesus, something that, that, that this plague of darkness would demonstrate. He has delivered all who trust in him from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of our sins. Moses didn't cower, not because he didn't think he would physically die one day, but because he knew that the darkness of Pharaoh's kingdom no longer ruled over his life, no longer ruled over the life of the people of Israel. He was a citizen, in other words, of God's kingdom now. I wonder what would happen if Christians believe that. Let me just tell you that all those who have stood for the Lord historically in the face of the threat of death did so because they knew that death no longer had power over them. Moses knew how Pharaoh's story was going to end, and we too should know as believers how the stories of oppressive and corrupt power is going to end. And that should give us hope. It should give us hope and power in the face of all of life's death, stre- death, death threats. But how do we know it's going to end that way? What are the lessons for us from this story that demonstrate to us that it's going to end with corrupt power judged and God's people delivered? Let's talk first of all about the sovereignty of God. Let's talk first of all about the sovereignty of God. Throughout these plagues, I've been speaking about God's confrontation with Pharaoh and with Pharaoh's gods. Yet what God has been making clear all along in these plagues and what becomes most clear in this ninth plague is that this confrontation has actually been a one-sided affair. What God was teaching Pharaoh and his empire was the truth spoken by by James Weldon Johnson all those years ago. Young man, your arms are too short to box with God. In ancient cultures, darkness was, was associated with the realm of death. While, while, while we've harnessed the, the power of electricity such that we can light up the night and navigate through darkness with relative ease, it was not so in ancient times. The, the lamps they used in those days provided limited light, and even those who traveled at night used well-worn paths, knowing that no, to deviate from them could spell disaster. And, and while thieves uh, still often use the cover of night in our day, imagine what it must have been like in a world where if someone broke in, you couldn't just grab a flashlight or flick on a switch to reveal your attacker or find your way to safety. But the darkness over Egypt was, was even more profound in that it would have included the absence of, uh, absence of the light of the stars or the moon. This was complete darkness, a darkness that was so thick that no one can see the other's face, a darkness that caused people to have to feel around to see where they were going. And if that were not enough, this darkness didn't last for a short period of time. It lasted for three days. It was a precursor to the death that Egypt was about to experience in the final plague. This, brothers and sisters, was no natural darkness. And what is more, God, the God who sent his supernatural darkness over Egypt was able by his divine power to cause his light to shine over the land of Goshen, where his people dwelled. Every place in Egypt was engulfed in darkness, yet God was able to cause his sun to shine over his people. Indeed, no one hearing this story could have missed the point. God was not just in control of some of the creation. He was in control of the whole of creation. Even light and darkness was in his hands. And I want us to realize that that the exercise of this power over darkness and light is meant to send a message to Pharaoh and to all the rulers of the nations of who he is ultimately in control. It's meant to send a message that God is in control of the world. 
In Isaiah, God speaks of raising up Cyrus, the the great, a ruler who did not know or believe in the Lord to be a vessel through whom he would save his people from Babylon. In his comments about raising him up, God declares, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the cow shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And the same message of God's sovereign control of the world was being made known all those years before to Pharaoh. What I'm reminding you today, people of God, what I'm reminding you of today is that your God and my God is in control. And I'm reminding you of this because the circumstances of our life and the world around us can press in on us in ways that make us feel subdued, that make us feel that the only real powers are those that are oppressing me, those that are mistreating me, those that are taking advantage of me, those that are manipulating me, those that are depriving me of good, those that are marginalizing me. Let this story this morning be a reminder to you that your God is the God in whose hands are both light and darkness. That means he can see through all the mess and misery of your life, and he can move even the creation itself if he decides to, to break the power of oppression in your life. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to not put our trust in the sovereignty of anything else other than the Lord. And I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to hear me this morning because we we often proclaim God's sovereignty with our mouths while functionally trusting other things as being ultimately in control. We, We often, let me say it again, proclaim God's sovereignty with our mouths while living functionally as if other things are in control. And and, and we know when something else is functioning in this way in our lives because we give it our faith. We give it our faith to the degree that when that thing isn't functioning, when that thing isn't working the way we think it should, our whole life is out of sorts. We, We don't know where to go and we don't know where to turn. And part of what God is doing in this plague is He's demonstrating that even something as basic to our well-being as light and dark is in His control. And if something as basic to our well-being as light and darkness is in His control, then certainly everything else that has to do with our well-being is in His control. And that's a message that is actually meant to give hope to us as His people, while at the same time functioning as a, as a warning to us and to those who would put their trust in other sources other than Him. So, so where is your functional trust this morning? Where is your functional trust this morning? Is it in the Lord's sovereignty or is it in your money? Is it in the Lord's control? over your life and the world, or is it in your politics? Is it in the Lord's sovereignty and control over your life and over the world, or or, or is it in your your pedigree, your education, 
your guns, your national identity as Americans, your health. Everything Pharaoh was trusting in, everything that gave his empire stability was being disrupted and overturned. He couldn't control anything. Not even something as basic as his people having light to see where they were going. And as I get older, I am learning the many things over which I have no control. And it is forcing me in a good way to the Lord, not only to acknowledge that I have no control, but to ask for his help to engage those areas in faithfulness to him over which I once thought I had control. So some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some, some, some of you all are learning that, that you actually have no control over anything. And some of you are learning that the things that you functionally have put your hope in are crumbling. And so the question is, The question is, where really is your trust and your hope and your stability? Is it in the Lord's sovereignty or is it in something else? (laughs) The sovereignty of God on the one hand. (laughs) On the other hand, the promise of God. The promise of God. The more I read through this narrative, the the more strengthened I am by Moses' courage. And and I say courage because what or who Moses was facing was actually no small thing. Pharaoh had already shown the type of leader he was, particularly in relationship to those he considered foreigners. But not only mistreating the Israelites in in the way that he had, but but by dehumanizing them through slavery. And also through increasing that mistreatment when first confronted by Moses with God's demands to set them free. Pharaoh was an evil man. Let me say that again so so you get it. Pharaoh was an evil man, wicked man. And while Moses may or may not have been afraid of his, for his own life, he, he knew Pharaoh's propensity for vindictiveness, his bent toward making others suffer to prove his own power. And, and since God had not revealed to Moses every detail of how Pharaoh's hardness would play out, Moses could not be sure any time he went before Pharaoh that he would not respond by making Israel's life even more miserable. And of course, now, now that Pharaoh was, was backed against the wall, so to speak, through the, through the increasing devastation of his land, who knew what Pharaoh would do in response? How, how do you keep confronting a situation like that? How, how do you keep confronting a person like that? How, how do you keep confronting a power like that? How, how do you keep walking into a situation that that could prove dangerous even when that situation is one that God has told you to enter into. In other words, how do you keep ministering in dark spaces, among dark powers, amid dark systems, 
in front of people consumed by that darkness. And if you think I'm being extra, (laughs) just consider the words of the Apostle Paul regarding the ministry of the church. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly places. Christians are no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but our warfare is still against that darkness. How do you keep walking? What I'm asking is, how do you keep walking into Pharaoh's court knowing that those dark forces that foment oppression are there? How do you do it when you know the threat of those forces, the threat of death that is always hanging over you when you are there and may even be spoken to you while you are there? And this isn't, this isn't some abstract theological question. No, if, if, if we want to minister to our community, if we want to share the love of Christ in the neighborhoods of Southeast Grand Rapids, we need to know the answer. Unless we're prepared to only go to the safe places in our community, we, we need to know the answer. Moses, Moses kept going into Pharaoh on the strength of a promise. Moses kept, kept going into Pharaoh's court, kept going into that dark space on the strength of a promise. It was a promise made in Exodus 3. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppressions which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Did you hear the promise? You might have missed it, so let me read it again. He said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Some of you still miss when you When you have brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, then you shall serve God on this mountain. Every time Moses went into Pharaoh's court, he realized it is not going to end here. It is not going to end in Pharaoh's court. It is not going to end here. I wish I had some witnesses this morning. It's not going to end here. It's not going to end with Israel in chains. It's not going to end with Pharaoh in charge. It's not going to end with us crushed under the weight of our labor. It's not going to end with someone else enjoying the fruits of those labors. It's not going to end with death reigning over us. It is not going to end with sin enslaving us. It's going to end as God promised with his people set free, 
evil judged and defeated. And if they should slay my body, they will only, they will only deliver me into God's future promise and to the de declaration that will be made over all those who have trusted in Jesus. Death is swallowed up in victory. <laughs> oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? People of God, feed your soul on the promises of God. You want to be empowered to minister well to your family, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your enemies? Feed your soul on the promises of God. You want to minister in those places where sin has broken people's lives? Then feed your soul on the promises of God. I was asking those who attended the First Life Group uh, training about uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and what they noticed about it. And someone said that all of Jesus' responses were from the Word of God. And while that wasn't the answer I was looking for at the time, it was a good answer in itself. Because that is exactly how our Lord faced the devil. That is exactly how he faced not only the threat of death, but death itself. Jesus knew what God had promised. He knew what God had declared about him. He knew what God had declared to him. And he held on to those promises over against the lies of sin, over against the lies of Satan, over against the lies of death. It is why his last words were not, why have you forsaken me, but into thy hands I commit my spirit. Do you know what God has promised you? Do you know what he said about you? Do you know what he has spoken to you? As a member of his covenant family, do you know the blessings that are yours in him? And do you cling to those promises? Trial has a way of testing whether or not we do. And I want to encourage you today that if you're struggling to believe the promises of God, to know that those promises have not gone anywhere. They have not gone anywhere. <laughs> what God has promised, God will fulfill. Amen, Amen people of God. Amen. Those promises are still yours if your faith is in Christ. And they, by the power of the Spirit, they are your strength against the lies of the world, against the lies of your own sin nature, and against the lies of the devil. So how do we stand? How do we stand in the face of the death threats? Threats that hang over us from the world. The threats that hang over us from our sin nature. The threats that hang over us from the evil one himself. Brothers and sisters, we stand by virtue of the sovereignty of God and by virtue of the promises of God. We stand because through faith in Jesus,
God's sovereign rule has broken into our lives for our benefit. And we stand because through faith in Jesus, all the promises of God are now yes and amen to all those who trust in Jesus. The power of the death threats are broken for us who believe. So so that we might live for God free from fear. Amen, people of God. Do you believe God's sovereign rule is over you? Do you believe that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus? Then you need to praise the Lord. Lord, I pray for your church today, for those sitting sitting in this room. Lord, I pray for those who have their faith in you. As they look into their own hearts, as they look out into the world, as they see what's going on in our own land, as we look at what's going on in the world around us, Lord, as we see the power of darkness that is in the world, that is even in our own hearts, Father, we can feel subdued. We can feel as if we are trapped. We can feel as if those powers are ultimately in control, not only of our lives, but of the destiny of the world. I pray, Lord God, for your people, that they might not believe that. I pray instead, Lord, that they would trust that what you have said in your word is true, that you have, that who you have declared yourself to be in your word is true. And I pray that they would know functionally and practically, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are sovereign over the nations of this earth, that you are sovereign, Lord, over the powers of this world, that you are sovereign over their lives. And I pray that they would believe, Lord God, that the promises you have made to them through faith in Jesus Christ, that those promises are all yes and amen. They are yes and amen today, and they will be yes and amen tomorrow. May your people believe that, grab hold of that, and may we live in light of that, I pray, Lord God, in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus.